Good morning, everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Good morning, everyone, and a very happy new year to you. I hope you've had a great start to the new year. Excuse me while I get organised. And it's a time for New Year's resolutions. One of my New Year's resolutions is to make sure that I've got my sermon on my iPad before I start. Uh, if you are here last week, you'll know what that's all about. Um, just a couple of things before we get underway this morning. This was meant to be the last Sunday for uh, the Matthews family, uh, Jay and Divya and Jesse and Micah. They're moving to the Gold Coast. They're meant to be with us today, but I got a text this morning from them saying that they're all unwell but unable to be here with us today. Um, and they asked me just to share their, um, their thanks and uh, gratefulness for our church fellowship and uh, how, we've, how we've loved them and cared for them. And also, I mean, we're, we're very grateful for them and how they've served us and cared for us as well. And we wish them all the best as they head off to the Gold Coast for work next year. Also, it's great to have the Beach Mission guys with us. Am I right the Beach Mission's been running for like over 100 years or something? Yes. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't called Sonic Boom in 1920, but... But that's great. Any, has anyone here been a leader on Beach Mission or been part of Beach Mission before? So, okay, so there's quite a few. There you go. So you know something of what it's about. Chat to these guys. It sounds like it's going to be a great week of gospel ministry. And be praying as well. Please be praying for them. Well, let's get underway. Please do have a Bible open with you at John chapter 13, those verses that Andrew read for us. And we'll be looking at them this morning. What will Grace Christian Church Budrum be known for? in 2022. Now things are already off to a wobbly start with a sudden mask mandate and who knows what's going to happen in the next few weeks, let alone the next year. But as we stand on what might feel like a bit of a cliff edge, as a church family, a very important question we need to ask ourselves is what will Grace Christian Church Budrum be known for in 2022? Our passage this morning is concerned with what we should be known for as disciples of Jesus. So how about we pray, and then we'll get into Jesus' words together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Please make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. We pray this through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. 
Well, our reading this morning takes place uh, the night before Jesus went to the cross. He and his disciples are in that famous upper room enjoying the famous Last Supper, the last Passover meal that he ate one last time with his disciples. And in just a few days, it would be clear that this was the Passover to end all Passovers as Jesus became himself the sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. And the whole evening was full of surprises. If you've got a Bible with you, flick back to chapter 13, verse 1, or chapter 13, verse 4. This is the first surprise where we're told by John that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you've got to know that in the first century, this was the work of the lowest slave in the household, to wash the dirty, dusty feet of the guests as they reclined at the meal table. You know, I like to imagine that uh, a disciple was reclining at the table, he was chatting to his neighbor, and he didn't pay much attention to what was going on down there. He just assumed it was the household slave doing his thing. And then he suddenly does a double take and realizes it's Jesus. His eyes pop out of his head and his jaw hits the floor as he realizes this is Jesus washing his feet. It's an utterly shocking thing for Jesus to be doing. And it gets people talking, yes, and Jesus then has this conversation with Peter about what real washing, being truly clean, is all about. And then Jesus goes back to take his place at the table. The narrative then uh, takes a sharp turn to Judas' betrayal of Jesus. But it's spoken of cryptically because the disciples are still clueless as to what is really happening. This brings us to the first words of our reading for this morning, which is back in, in verse 31 of chapter 13. We're going to be flicking around chapter 13 a bit as we set the scene. It says in verse 31, as we read a moment ago, when he, i.e. Judas, went out... Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. You see, what Jesus means is that with Judas having made his choice and left the gathering to go and betray Jesus to the religious authorities, the whole mission has just really reached a point of no return. Nothing will now stand in the way of Jesus' arrest, his torture, his execution, his resurrection, and his ascension. The wheels are now unstoppably in motion. This is very important to note because in the Gospels, and especially in John's Gospels, we now begin to see everything from Jesus' betrayal all the way through to where he, is, his, he returns to heaven. We see it all as one event. One event in which God is glorified as all of his salvation promises are finally fulfilled. And notice as well that even though Jesus is going to go through terrible suffering, God is not glorified at his expense. It's important to see. God is not glorified at the expense of the suffering Savior. It says that God is glorified in the Son. God is glorified in his glory by giving him in love to fulfill those promises to save the world. It's an amazing, amazing thing that is happening this night. 
And it's into this context that Jesus, having washed his disciples' feet, tells his disciples with with heartfelt compassion, verse 33, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. See, he refers to his disciples as little children. He loves them, and he recognizes how vulnerable and how immature they are. He had told the Jews back in chapter 7 at the temple that he was, he was going where no one could follow, and they thought it meant that he was going to, uh, he was going to go teach the Greeks uh, outside Judea. You know, because of Jewish purity laws, well, they couldn't go there. Uh, later in chapter 8, he says the same thing, and the religious authorities think that Jesus is going to kill himself. They're clueless. They don't get it. Not at all. What Jesus meant was that he was going to go places only the Son of God could go as he took the sin of the world upon himself and paid the price that was owed to his Father. And then he would return to the Father. Where I am going, you cannot come. So what are Jesus' disciples meant to do in the meantime? I don't think they would have really realized that as they sat around that table at dinner that night, that it was just the calm before the storm, and the world was never going to be the same again, for them or for anyone else. What were they going to do? Well, Jesus tells them in verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, the scene is set. Let's consider now Jesus' new commandment that he sets before his disciples before he leaves them. Now, I realize we've woken up this morning to a new commandment about wearing masks. Uh, It's not really a new rule. It's kind of a repackaged old rule. At first glance, though, Jesus' command in verse 34, it might seem like a repackaged old rule. Seems just like one of those other frequent commands from uh, in the Bible and from Jesus to love. But why does he call it a new commandment? Well, Jesus' best-known commandment to love was simply what was taught in God's Word back in the Old Testament: "Love your neighbor as yourself." Comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Jesus obviously hasn't changed that commandment. But here his commandment is new for three reasons. It's new because it comes with a new inspiration. It has a new object. And it's going to have a new effect. What I'd like to do is have us look at each of these in turn this morning and the rest of our time together. A new inspiration, new object, and a new effect. You might have those on your service outline. If you're taking notes, they'll be there for you. Now, this new commandment to love takes its inspiration from Jesus' own love for his disciples. Lots of things pass for love today, don't they? Love and sex seem interchangeable. Love might also stand for tolerance and acceptance and the absence of judgment. Uh, Love might simply be described as, as an emotional sense of attachment, just a feeling. The love Jesus shows his disciples is quite different. 
If we go back to the beginning of the chapter, uh, and if you've got your Bible open still, go back to verse 1. John begins the whole narrative, this upper room story, by telling us in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end means that he loved them to completion. Or he achieved his goal to completely love them. Remember, we're talking about this whole event from now all the way to the ascension as one event. So John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then John shows us Jesus Christ, the Son of God, washing his disciples' feet and taking on willingly the role of the lowest household slave. Now, we must be clear that Jesus wasn't showing the ultimate in love by by applying some water to the road-soiled appendages of his disciples. This is where we can become fooled into thinking that Christian love is just about being kind to people and, you know, maybe at expense to ourselves. The action of the foot washing was only meaningful in that it revealed what was on Jesus' heart towards his disciples a humble, servant-hearted attitude towards them. But the full extent of it would not become clear until the next day at least, when he didn't just wash their feet, but he died to wash them clean of sin. This was Peter's misunderstanding. Peter thought that it was about dirty feet which weren't acceptable in polite company. It wasn't that at all. It was about a dirty heart, dirty with sin, that wasn't acceptable in God's company. And so Jesus says to Peter in verse 7, What I'm doing to you now you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. It's not about the foot washing. It's about cleaning hearts. And, you know, this is beautifully captured in that passage we read a few weeks ago in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus loved his disciples by utterly and completely humbling himself for their benefit. He didn't claim rights. He didn't claim privileges. He didn't stand on status. He didn't place limits on his love. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them. He took the initiative. He didn't set a high bar on who was worth loving either. He didn't exclude anyone from his love. Just think of the, of the murderer on the cross next to him the next day. I find that incredible. You know what else I find incredible? I find it incredible that he loved Judas. He even washed Judas' feet, and he loved Judas. Even though he knew what was going to happen. Even though he knew what John tells us in verse 2, that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Even though Jesus knew that nothing he would do would stop Judas doing what he was going to do. Jesus still humbled himself to love Judas. And friends, this is the kind of love that inspires Jesus' new commandment to his disciples to love like he does. It's a love which knows no limits, it counts no cost, it fears no injury, 
It seeks no personal advantage. It's concerned entirely with the well-being of the person being loved. This love inspires this new commandment. This is the kind of love Jesus' disciples are expected to show to one another. Well, if that's the new inspiration, the love that Jesus shows, let's look now at the new object. The new commandment to love like Jesus has this new object, not whoever in the world is my neighbor, but the one another of Jesus' own disciples, his body, his new community. Jesus calls his disciples in his absence to love each other in the way that reflects his love for them. So during the foot washing, which foreshadowed the cross, verse 14, Jesus said to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. As Jesus departs, this will be the way that his love for his disciples continues. As his Holy Spirit is poured into their hearts, empowering them to imitate him, especially in their love towards one another. They need to hear these words of comfort because of what's coming next, the next day. But this is also why the love that must exist between Jesus' disciples is different. Yes, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, but we're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And just to note, this is not a call to love those outside the body of Christ less. It's a call to love those inside the body more. Because only those who have known Jesus' deep love for them on the cross, only those who know that God loved them in this, that while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. Only those who have the Holy Spirit within them are capable of reflecting this love towards each other. And we must Jesus expects it of us. Paul makes this point quite clear in his letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. I've got a Bible with you. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Listen to what Paul says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, remember he's writing to Christians. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's the kicker. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being humbled in human form, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind among yourselves, friends, which is 
yours in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he has loved you like this. The only reason Paul could call the Christians in Philippi to to this kind of love for one another is because they'd experienced it for themselves in Christ. Let me say to you, if you've not experienced this love for you in Christ, maybe today is a day to do business with God. Have a chat to a trusted Christian friend. Come chat to me or to Tim after the service. We'd love to help you. Love to point you in the direction of the greatest love in the universe. But this love for those who know Christ is ours in Christ. And Jesus expects us to love each other with this kind of love until he returns. But it's hard, isn't it? I mean, you'd think that if you got two people together who knew the greatest love in the universe, that it would be no big deal for them to show that love towards each other. It'd be like bringing two magnets together and they just go. But it's not like that, is it? (laughs) Unfortunately. And it's not like that for the simple reason that we're not yet made completely like Jesus. One day we will be, but for now we are caught between two worlds and we're still under construction by the Holy Spirit. I think our memory particularly is affected. And look, I count myself here as well. We too easily forget the great love Jesus has shown for us. We forget that he's done the same, not just for me, but for each of my brothers and sisters in Christ. It becomes a distant memory that's crowded out by what, what, by what we think are more important things. The sports results, the weather, how busy work is, our holiday plans, or what the latest COVID restrictions are. <clears throat> we forget that we've got it all forever in Christ, and we've got nothing to lose by loving humbly and sacrificially like Jesus. You know, our conversations and our concerns for one another really should be so different. When we see each other at church, we should be so glad to see one another and say, my brother, my sister, I'm so glad to see you because I can share with you that love that we know in Christ. And I've been around people all week who just sadly don't know it. But we forget so soon. Sometimes we even forget to love by just asking My brother, my sister, how can I pray for you? Of course, the Lord commands us to do things in his word, not not the things that we find easy, but the things we find hard. That's why he has to tell us to do it. But he also provides the means to obey, gives us his Holy Spirit, so that when we find God's commands difficult, when we find it hard to love others the way Jesus wants us to do, I think our, our prayer just has to be the same as that of the psalmist. In Psalm 143, verse 10, where he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Yes, Jesus expects his disciples to love one another, just like he loves us. We've got a new inspiration, a new object. Let's look now at the new effects. Because sometimes we can come across rules we're meant to follow, which we can't see the point of. 
We can't see the sense in them. We don't, we don't understand what they're meant to achieve. I'm going to use a non-coronavirus example right now, but did you know that many taxis around the world are still legally required to carry a bale of hay in the boot? I mean, go figure that one out. What's the point? The rule or commandment that Jesus gives here, though, is not like that. It's not a rule with no point. And in fact, in verse 34 and 35, he tells us exactly why we are to love one another the way he's loved us. Look again at verse 34 and 35. We're back in John chapter 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Excuse me. In other words, our love for one another needs to have an evangelistic edge. Jesus expects that as people see his disciples, as they see Christians, whether or not they agree with them, They'll see an undeniable love that exists between them, and they will unmistakably see Jesus himself. Campbell Morgan was a pastor in England in the last century, and I think he makes a very insightful comment on this verse. Listen to what he says. The measure in which Christian people fail in love to each other is the measure in which the world does not believe in them or their Christianity. It is the final test of discipleship, according to Jesus. Listen to that again. The measure in which Christian people fail in love to each other is the measure in which the world does not believe in them or their Christianity. Makes you stop and think, doesn't it? And sadly, too many Christians do fail to love each other. Anything remotely like Jesus has loved us. The world looks at churches and it sees racism. It sees sexism. It sees economic exclusion. It sees abuse. It sees theological skirmishes. It sees elitism. It sees division over politics. It sees Christians drawing battle lines with one another over virtually every aspect of the coronavirus pandemic, from vaccines to government policy to conspiracy theories to scientific evidence or the lack thereof. And Christians set themselves against each other over these things. Jesus' own disciples that he has loved. Now, it's, it's unreasonable that there should be no space for respectful disagreement on things. But when disunity over worldly things becomes bigger than our unity forever in Christ, that's a problem. And we've missed something big. To quote James, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Because nothing, because this is nothing like the love Jesus has shown us. Just quite simply, we, we should know better. I like to visit other churches when I'm on holiday. And one of the worst experiences I have is when I go to a church that clearly has an in crowd and then everyone else. And look, I'm a fellow believer. It's got to be said that tribalism or clickiness is deeply ungodly and does nothing for the gospel. 
How are non-believers supposed to be included and enfolded in, the, in, in Christ's new community if believers are excluded because they don't dress the right way or say the right things or have the right shoes or read out of the right Bible, sing the right songs? Is it any wonder then that the church or the gospel we proclaim has no attraction for those in the world? But what if the world looked at Christians and saw a family of people of different ethnicities, different financial means, different jobs, different views on politics, different ideas about COVID-19, men and women of all ages who put the gospel first before anything else, showing one another a real and deep and consistent and sacrificial love for one another that transcended all of these other things? What if they saw a kind of visible love amongst us that gives authenticity to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, I think people would be rushing the door saying, I want what they're having. And you know, it's hardly surprising. It's been this way forever when Christians have have with authenticity lived out the gospel. Back in the third century, a Christian writer named Tertullian uh, from North Africa, he wrote a long submission to the Roman government about the persecution that was going on. And he noted in it that it was the Christians' incredible love for one another under terrible persecution, which so surprised the authorities and their communities. The Christians pulled their resources to bury their dead. They raised each other's orphan children. They cared for those who were sentenced to prison or were sentenced to labor camps or who were banished for being Christians. And you know what? The authorities found it increasingly hard to argue with the gospel, a gospel that had such an effect on people. Because nothing in the Roman Empire, not their religion, not their policies, could produce that kind of love between people. Fast forward to today, a recent landmark study in Australia found that seeing Christians live out a genuine faith was very attractive to 44% of non-Christians. That's a big number. So as we close, what will Grace Church Budrum be known for in 2022? I hope and pray that it's a Christ-like love for one another which authenticates the gospel, the world can't ignore that it finds desperately attractive. And that people see it when they look at our church, that people see it when they look at our families, people see it when they look at our friendship groups. For you guys running the beach mission this week, I hope people see it on your leadership team. It's far more than handshakes, hugs, and smiles, friends. I hope and pray that the grace will be known for having a deep love for each other, which is unaffected by disagreements over vaccines or government mandates, a love for each other which is not limited to those people that I find easy to love or get on with or who are more like me, but they see a love for each other that goes the extra mile, that counts no cost, that seeks no self-advantage, a love where we forgive easily because we know what real forgiveness is all about, a love that is proactive rather than passive. In other words, a love that shows the world who Jesus really is and what he's done on the cross.
And then when I stand outside the building on a Sunday morning when we're coming in, I, I watch the people walking past or driving past, and I do wonder, what do they think when they see us turning up for church in the morning? I mean, this morning they might have looked at us and wonder if it's a ninja convention turning up. But I wonder, do they see our love for one another? Do they see something they want? Do they see Jesus in us? I pray that they do. I'd like to close with a quote from a well-known Bible teacher that's worth reflecting on. It says this, Christianity is a relationship of love and loyalty to the one who has loved us more than we can begin to imagine. And the test of that love and loyalty remains the simple, profound, dangerous, and difficult command. Love one another. Will we pass the test in 2022? Let's pray for the Lord's strength to do just that. How about we pray? Our gracious God, Emmanuel, God with us, pray that you'd send down your spirit of love on all of us, your followers, that we may no longer glory in the little distinctions of factions and disagreements. Father, we pray that instead that we might show we are Christians standing together under your glorious banner. Father, I pray that we would wear your mark of honor on our shoulders or like a crown on our heads. We pray that in that way, the spirit of hatred and disgrace and persecution would vanish like mist before the sun. And Lord, we pray that it again may be said everywhere as it once was, Look how those Christians love each other. Lord, please provide the strength we need to do this by your spirit. Help us to regain a love and a value for what Christ has done for us. Let us show that to the world for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to respond to God's word now by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Um, and as we